God has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. Awesome video to show you right now uh, that kind of kicks off into what we're going to be talking about this morning. So go ahead and turn around, and, or I'll turn around, you don't. If you turn around, you're in trouble. Uh, watch this video. David, when he said that he would kill him, he picked out his sword and he swung it at David. And then he picked up five stone rocks and when his swing, it hit the giant in the face. That giant fell out. Oh, you hit me! Wow, uh, theology of kids, isn't it great? Um, Wolverine showed up. I think that's the best David and Goliath story ever. Um, really neat. Hey, um, on a serious note, I am uh, so excited that you're here this morning. Um, I don't know if you realize uh, how much we appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, this last Tuesday night, all of our pastoral staff got together and the elders uh, prayed over us. I love our elders. They're just amazing men of God. And, and we stood up on this stage, or actually we sat on the stage right here while this room was totally empty, and we prayed for you, uh, each and every one of you, uh, that God would touch your heart in a powerful way, that your relationship with him would grow, uh, that if you're hurting, that you would find comfort, that if you're comforting, that you would learn how to comfort others, um, that you would be challenged to grow in your faith. I mean, we, we don't take this lightly. And, um, and I want you to know that you matter to us and you matter to God, and, and that's a huge thing. And it's an honor to work in a church like that. Uh, and so I want to pray for you right now and pray for me as we jump into what we're going to learn about this morning and pray that God just challenges you uh, to grow in him. So will you do that with me? Will you pray with me? Father, um, we are so in awe of who you are, and we're humbled by your grace and mercy upon us, and 
Um, Lord, I know there's many people in this room and some are, are frustrated and angry at life and at you. And I pray that you would come and heal them, give them comfort. Lord, I know that there are those who are bored in their relationship with you and they need to be challenged. I pray that you would challenge them. There are those who don't know you in here, Lord, and they're searching you out and they really don't even know why they're here. I pray that you would touch them in such a way that they couldn't deny you're moving in them. Um, I pray for those, Lord, who have just, they've lost their flame and their fire for you, that you would reignite them. Um, wherever they're at, wherever we're at, God, I, I, I just, I know where you want us to be, and that's not where we're at at this moment. It's growing towards you. And um, so, Lord, make that happen this morning through your word. May your spirit move in our midst in such a way that we couldn't deny it. Um, we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know, growing up, um, I came from that family, and my mom's here this morning, and so I, I, I want to introduce her, because this is going to embarrass her, but I don't care, because I love her so much, and she's awesome, and uh, she's going to hate me for this, but mom, will you just stand up real quick, because I'm so, she doesn't want to stand up, but you got to just say hi. Just wave. You don't have to stand up. Just wave. That's my mom right there. And I love my mom. Um, she had to put up with two crazy kids growing up and was a single parent uh, when my dad left. And that was very different. I mean, imagine having me as your son. So, because uh, Cooper's like me, so now I know. Um, my son. Uh, and so uh, growing up, we, uh, after my dad had left, uh, it, was a, it was a crazy time. Uh, my mom did everything she, she could do. She had to work full-time and go to school full-time so she could get an education just so she could pay for the food to put on our table. And she worked extremely hard and did an incredible job at that. Uh, but in the midst of that time, uh, my, my dad uh, was kind out of in and out of the picture. Um, and so what that meant was we didn't have a lot of uh, parental guidance around the, our house. Um, and my brother and I were constantly getting ourselves in a lot of trouble. Uh, we were constantly, um, you know, confronted with decisions uh, that really could have messed up our life pretty bad. Uh, I remember my dad's idea of a, of a, you know, a family date out would be he would take us to the bar so we could watch him drink. Um, and so we'd sit at the bar and he would go and drink with all of his friends and play pool and play darts and, you know, just we could just drink as much soda and chips that we wanted. And that was basically what we would do. The other thing we would do is we'd go to the river with my dad. And so at the river, how many of you guys, anybody here go to the Colorado River at all? Any river rats, or I don't even know what they call them nowadays. Yeah, a lot of trouble happened at the river. Um, you know, as a kid, I mean, it was like the perfect place to go because my father uh, and all of his friends would get together and they would turn on the margarita machine and have all the beer and go crazy and basically didn't care what the kids did. So all night long, for the whole weekend, whatever we wanted to do, there was no discipline whatsoever. So we'd just run around and, and literally just go crazy. Uh, and in that time, I was confronted with so many opportunities to do some very, very bad stuff. And I remember the choices that would constantly come my way. And you know what's interesting is when I look back, I didn't know it then, I would be sitting with a group of guys, and they would be like, hey, we're going to smoke some weed, 
And let's say, we were, I mean, we were like 12, 11, 12 years old, and, you know, they'd stolen it from their dad. And I just remember being in that and going, that's, I, I can't do that. Like, there's something in me that, that's moving, and I didn't understand what it was. Now, now, the peer pressure was there. Everything was there to, like, say, hey, go try it, go do it. But, but I made the choice. I said, you know, I don't want to be a part of this. But here's what I want you to know is there was nothing around me to support that. Um, my dad would have been glad if I would have done that. He would have been probably like, that's fine, that's great, great. You're just like, you know, chip off the old block, go ahead. And I look at all of those guys that we hung out with during that time, all of those people who are rather either dead, in jail, um, maybe even homeless, in, in gangs and different things, and I think, gosh, what, what, like, why is it that I'm standing here on this stage Right? How is it that God, you, you protected my brother and I in the midst of that? Like how, I just, I don't understand how that happened. Now there's two things that work. Number one, obviously the Holy Spirit was moving and that's the number one thing that was working. But there's also another thing and that was choice. Uh, we had a choice. I had a choice sitting uh, with those people if I wanted to partake, if I wanted to go steal and rob the trailers, if I wanted to go and, and, and drink, if I wanted to go and, and do drugs, whatever. And, and, and I had a choice at that time. Uh, I believe, uh, I believe that, that in essence we're a culmination of our decisions. We're a culmination of our choices that we make. And when we're confronted with those choices, we can decide what we want to do with them and, and follow the good path or the bad path. I mean, I'll make it as simple as that. Um, Dan Pierce, one of our executive pastors here, was just brilliant. He, uh, he, he said this quote, and, and it's just, it shook me up because it's so good and it's so true. Uh, and write this down if you have a pen. He says this. He says, all men are created equal, but choices tend to separate them. All men are created equal, but choices tend to separate them. Like, what makes, what makes one person choose and follow this direction and another person choose and follow this direction? And that's what we're going to look at this morning is two kings. One king whose name was Saul, who got it anointed and called to be king, who made some choices and decisions that drew him down a path, right, of destruction. And we had another king whose name was King David, who had some choices and decisions to follow, and in those choices and decisions, instead of choosing the wrong path, he chose the right path, and God blessed and honored him. And so we're going to look at four uh, fatal faults, four fatal faults that destroyed a king this morning. And so fault number one is this. Fault number one, if you have your pen, write this down in your notes, is fear, is fear. This was the first fault that Saul came across in his life, was fear. Um, let me set the story up for you. Uh, if we were watching a movie, pretend we were zooming in on this section and we were kind of looking down on two mountains and in the middle is a valley. And so on one side of the, these mountains, you have this huge army of the Philistines uh, and they are full, they have armor on, they have swords and they're ready for battle and they're amazing. And in the middle, they have this huge nine foot guy that, uh, that looks just like that guy Brandon who was just up here. Um, he's a bouncer, so I can say that. He's a big guy. Um, and so, you, you got guy, and his name's Goliath. And then on the other side over here, you have the army of Israel. And the army of Israel, uh, you know, there's Saul and all his men. Now, they were powerful, and they were respected because they did a lot of battles. But you have to understand, when it comes to, like, tools, and it comes to weapons, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 4 versus, like, Mario Brothers, 
okay? <laughs> There's a big difference in what they had. Uh, the, the children of Israel didn't have metal working yet. They didn't understand that yet, where they had already were in full gear using it, and that's why the Philistines were taking over. So anyway, you have, you have Goliath in the middle, and Goliath is looking at King David and his army. And he begins to challenge them. And look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8. So, so Goliath isn't there and he says, Then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? So he's looking at the guys and he, you know, in all of his armor and all of his sword and, and he's like, Why are you guys even out here? You're kind of hiding from me. Um, and then he says, Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Now what this tells us is, number one, what he's saying is, hey, we're Philistines, right? And as servants of Saul, you should be coming down to attack us. Why aren't you? Why are you guys all a bunch of chickens? Bark, bark. I mean, really, he's like, hey, And he's saying all this stuff. He's, in, he's trying to get to them. Why? Because Saul was respected, and you have to understand this. Sometimes when we hear the story of Saul, we just think he was a horrible guy. Saul, in the beginning, did a lot of great things. Uh, Saul won a lot of battles, uh, and then Saul began to make a few decisions that were against God, and then those decisions began to steamroll into other decisions, or snowball into other decisions, okay? And so we're at the point after Saul made a horrible decision to not kill someone that God had told him to. And so he's sitting here, and Goliath is challenging him, him. In the past, he probably would have fought, but listen to what it says. It says, Goliath says, Choose a man then for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul, listen to this, in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. And greatly afraid. They were fearful. Saul was fearful. Now this is my opinion, but I believe in looking back and studying this, that as the king, it was Saul's responsibility to fight Goliath. It was Saul's responsibility to take on Goliath. Number one, why? He had the experience. Number two, he had all the weapons of warfare he needed. Saul was probably the only one in his own army that had the, the bronze scales. He was probably the only one that had his, uh, uh, an actual spear of some type of a weapon that was actually useful and powerful and strong. Now, the other guys had small spears and daggers and different things, but it wasn't like Saul's. He knew, and he had the respect. Now, now imagine if, if the guy you're supposed to, de to depend on as your king is scared, your army's in trouble. Your army's in big trouble. And the guy who has everything he needs to battle Goliath doesn't want to do it, then you're in trouble. And so fear overtook him. Why? Because Saul, Saul was looking at what he could see, and he was thinking, there's no way I could beat this guy, rather than depending upon God to come through for him. So Saul, in essence, was fighting for himself. He wasn't fighting for God. On the other hand... The opposite of fear is trust. And we see another king, King David, the opposite of fear is trust, and David trusted that God would do something. Look over uh, at verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 45. Listen to what it says. So then David said to the Philistine, so here David comes, 
And I mean, a lot has happened in between here, but just for the sake of the story, we're coming through. And so David said to the Philistine, he said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. And how, what, how does David respond? Does David respond, well, I come to you with, with armor and swords. And no, he doesn't even say he comes with a weapon. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Because for David, it didn't matter what he had in his back pocket. It didn't matter if he could see that he could win or not. All he knew was that nobody disrespects my God and gets away with it. Nobody talks about God that way without getting challenged. Does this make sense? And so, verse 46, he says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. See, David couldn't handle the fact that God was being blasphemed. But he trusted. He knew. All he had was a sling and five stones. I mean, could you imagine? But here's what he did know. He knew that whatever I bring to the battle, God's going to fill in the rest. Whatever I bring, whatever I walk up with, whatever tool I have at, at my disposal, God's going to fill in the rest. Which means, and, 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 and if I think of Saul, if Saul would have walked up even with his armor and sword, if he would have trusted God, God wanted to have him, God would have filled in the rest. But he was fearful because he was looking at what he could see, not what God wanted to do. David, on the other hand, was looking and saying, God, I know you don't want this to happen. This shouldn't be happening, and you're calling me to this, and so I'm going to bring what you've given me, and I'm going to use it, and you know what? I'm going to trust that it's going to work. I'm, I'm going to trust and walk in that, that, that you're going to take care of it. Why is that? Because God loves it when we trust him. You know, God loves it when he asks you to do something, and you don't have the tools necessary when he asks you, hey, I want you to go witness to that guy, but I don't remember any of the Bible verses. Yeah, I know, but I want you to go do it. But I don't want to, yeah, I know, I'll fill in the rest. Just go. And God loves it when we do that. When he sets you apart and calls you apart for something, and then he gives you the tools necessary to make it happen. He fills in the blanks. He fills in all of our inconsistencies, and he fills in everything we don't understand, and, and he brings it together. But we have to trust him. We have to trust him. What just seems impossible for you? What seems impossible? Know that God can fill in the blanks. He can fill in the rest. So fault number one for Saul was fear. He was fearful. And that fear took on a fact that he wouldn't trust God anymore. Well, let's go to fault number two. So fault number one is fear, and then it brings him to fault number two. It's kind of a snowball effect. The fault number two is this, and write this down. It's called jealousy. You ever experienced jealousy? All of a sudden, first he's fearful because, you know, he doesn't trust God, and then he starts getting jealous of David. And here's the scene. It, it's, it's in chapter 18, verse 5. So what happens is David kills Goliath, right? We all know the story. Uh, hopefully we know the story. And then after he kills Goliath, David comes back, and Saul be, says, hey, I want you in charge of all my armies, and everybody falls in love with David. Now, imagine this as a king. Everybody falls in love with your number one guy. Right? It's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, that's not right. And so, so Saul is getting so jealous of David. It says this in verse 6. Now it happened in chapter 18. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced. Saul has slain his thousands and David is... That sounds horrible. 
Saul has, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. That's a manly wound. Um, but could you imagine the king, right? He's already on an ego kick. And everybody goes, oh, the king is great. He's only slain a thousands. But David, the manly man over here who's actually a kid that's way younger than you, he, he's slain ten thousands. Look at what verse uh, 9 says. It says, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. Saul couldn't stand that David was getting attention. His jealousy was eating him alive. Eating him alive. You ever feel that way? Somebody else gets the raise at your workplace? Oh, I deserve that. You know, maybe you wish that uh, you had their husband or their wife and you're jealous you're jealous of their lifestyle. You're jealous that they got approved for the loan and you didn't. You're jealous that, I mean, the list can go on. They're jealous. Now, what is the opposite of jealousy? When I was studying through this, I, I kept thinking, okay, that's a, such a hard term because jealousy is when I, uh, when I look at other people, right, and I want what they have. It's like envy, jealousy, and then I wish I had it myself. So I'd say the opposite of jealousy uh, is that I want the best for other people. Right, so when I look at others, I want the best for them. Um, now, now think about that. So, so if somebody else gets something that I want, I'm like, man, pray, that's amazing that you get that. That's hard, isn't it? That really is. Uh, somebody else, like you expect the praise for something, and somebody else gets, you're like, that's not fair. Like, I, I deserve that. I'm jealous. But you know what? I want them to have it, so we hand it over to them. That's, that's wanting the best for somebody. Now, in order for that to happen for you and I, something at the core of us has to be true. Okay? Something at the core of us has to be true. And so this is what I would say is the opposite of jealousy is contentment. Right? I have to be content with who God has made me and what God has given me. That's a hard one. So that no matter what happens out here, it doesn't matter no matter who gets what, whatever, I'm content that, you know what, if this is what God has for me, then this is what I get, and praise God. Thank you so much, Jesus, because God loves it when we're content, because God gives good gifts if we would just see them. But we keep looking over the fence or looking at other people and thinking, oh, I want that gift. And God's like, but I gave you this. We have to be content at the core. And the opposite of jealousy is that contentment. Turn over to uh, 1 Samuel 22, uh, chapter 22. This is a funny section to me. So, so what's happening is, is King Saul is so jealous that he says, you know, I'm going to kill David. And so he starts hunting him down. And he starts chasing him all over. So David flees, and he's out in the middle of nowhere, and he's thinking, great. Now, you have to think, David's anointed to be king. He's, he, he wants to be king. Like, God, Samuel came and anointed and prayed over him. Now, it hasn't happened yet, but Saul's still king. And so that would be kind of confusing. So anyway, he's out there and he's thinking, okay, when's my time coming? God, you promised this and I have to run away because the king's trying to kill me. And then all of a sudden as he's out there, all these guys start showing up. They're the discontented guys. They're the guy. it says the guys that are in debt. Uh, the people uh, that are hurting, that are angry, that are bitter. And all of a sudden, 400 of them show up. It's like the army of the crazy. I mean, it really is. And they're all guys, you know, they're, they're just, they're dirty, they're angry, they've got like nasty beards, because people with beards are, na oh, wait. Oh, that was good, that was, that was a, yeah. Think about that. And all of a sudden, 
he's out there, and all these guys show up, and he's thinking, is this what my, my kingdom is? Like, who wants a king, who wants to lead a bunch of people that are just complaining and whining? Who wants to lead a bunch of people that are broken, that are in debt, that are, like, and, and he's probably thinking, but he knows this is what God has given me. And they, it says he became their captain. He began to lead over them. Does, does this make sense to you? And so this whole time, he's like, just the opposite. Like, you know what? If God, if this is what you have for me, then I'm out in the, the wilderness, and I'm going to do this, and, and, and I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to love you, no matter what. So David went in the wilderness and, and, and lived out there. See, because if you don't have contentment, jealousy is going to eat you alive. It's going to eat you alive. And so contentment produced a king. Contentment produced a king, and jealousy destroyed a king. Contentment produced a king, and jealousy per, uh, destroyed a king. And it, it's, it will destroy you, too. So you have fault number one, which is fear. You have fault number two, which, which is jealousy. And which brings us to fault number three, because once you're fearful and you're jealous, it draws something else out of us, and that's violence. Turn back over to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 10. And in verse 10... Um, listen to what happens. So remember, Saul's jealous of David. And in this scene, if we want to pick it up, what's happening is they're in, they're in his little kingdom area. And, well, read what it says in verse 10. It says, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. That's a hard one. Saul kept making choices and decisions. And those choices and decisions kept moving him towards not following God, and God eventually will give us over. It's like, okay, if that's what you want to do, Romans chapter 1 says, I'll give you over to, to, to your mind. I'll give you over to the things you want. If you continue down that path, God loves you, and sometimes that love allows you to go and continue in those decisions. And so as, as those decisions are continuing to happen, it says he prophesied in, inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. Uh, because David wasn't only a warrior, he was the musician, and he, would, he was supposed to calm Saul. Imagine the guy who was supposed to calm you down with music is the guy that you hate. So here's the guy, David's like, hey man, what's up? You know, here's some guitar. And, and, and Saul's like, oh, I just, you play guitar too, I hate you. You know, like, just everything about you. And so then it says, uh, in verse 11, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Wow, at that point, he just let him have it. Boom, and he threw the spear. And when that spear went and he tried to kill David, David bailed. Let me ask you this. Do you throw spears? Do you, what's your language like? You know, we don't physically. I mean, I don't think, maybe some of us are violent, and I hope not in here. But our violence comes from our mouth. Our violence comes from our anger. Our violence comes from in here. Remember what Jesus said? What did Jesus say? You've heard that it was said that if you murder someone, Jesus says, I tell you, if you hate someone, it's the same. Why? Because if it's in here, it's just as real. Maybe you come home from work and you let your kids have it. You unload on them. You're throwing spears at them. You let your wife or your husband, you're frustrated, and instead of sitting down and talking through it, you let her have it. You let them have it. You throw spears there's a violence going on everywhere. It's everywhere. The question is, are you going to live that way? Or are you going to live as God has called you to live? So on the other hand, the opposite of violence then is peace. Is peace. 
See, we have a choice. We can throw spears or we can bring peace. Turn over to 1 Samuel 24. Remember, here's, here's the story. We're picking it back up on this end. You have David running around in the wilderness, right? He's running around with this army of crazy guys. You know what I picture? Like, like total Braveheart, you know? They're just like, and, and they're running all over the place trying to get away from Saul's army. They're hiding in a cave. Saul comes out with his armies, hunting him down, hunting him down, can't find him, and he's out there with his guys, and he says, you know, I have to go to the restroom, because that's what you do, and, and he goes into this cave where David and his 400 men happen to be. Now, do you catch that? So he walks into the cave. Imagine those, those 400 guys are sitting in the back of the cave, and they see his little silhouette coming in. That's him. That's Saul. David, go get him. Go kill him, because you know what? If you kill him... This is over for us. We don't have to run anymore. We're not dead anymore. All of our discontent goes away. I mean, we're, we're, we'll be at peace. We can get out of like, you know, staying in the wilderness and going from cave to cave and living like this. I mean, please, David, just let's, you're our leader. Let's do this. And Saul comes in and starts going to the bathroom and David's like, I can't. And so David goes over and he starts sneaking over as Saul's going to the bathroom. And like, I was, I, like how does that happen? I'm going to ask God that one. Like, God, could you like, like what? Pick, I can't picture that. So, so Saul's going to the restroom and David walks over as he's going and he begins to cut a piece off his robe and he goes back to his guys and they're like, why didn't you just kill him? So then Saul gets up and walks out of the cave and then David follows him and listen to what it says in chapter, or verse 8 of chapter 24. He says this, he says, so David also arose afterward and he went out of the cave and he called out to Saul saying, my Lord and King. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. Now two things here. Number one, like imagine this, David is anointed to be king. He knows he's going to be king soon. He's not king yet. Saul's the king who wants to kill him. David's a warrior. He could have probably taken him out easy, but he gets on his face and he humbles himself before his king because it's the right thing to do. Not the easy thing, the right thing to do. And I think of all of those guys following him thinking, you're such an idiot, I can't believe you did this. Why didn't you just take him out? And then it says, and David said to Saul in verse nine, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Wow, do you catch that? Because God is a God of peace. Even when we think it would be the best thing to cause violence or to speak words. See, you might be someone that throws spears. You might be someone that's violent with your words. Abusive. And you've got to stop. You've got to stop. But God has called you to be a person of peace and a person that brings broken things back together, okay? And so peace produced a king and violence destroyed a king and it will destroy you. So we have fault number one, which is fear. Fault number two, which is jealousy. Fault number three, which is violence, which brings us to fault number four, which is self-seeking or what I would call narcissism. Uh, if you remember in Greek mythology, Narcissus was uh, a beautiful young man, and, uh, and he would walk around because he was so beautiful, and one time he was passing by uh, some water that had a perfect reflection, and as he looked at the water, he saw himself, 
and he could not take his eyes off of himself because he was so beautiful. Like, imagine, he's just like, wow, who's that? Oh, it's me. Yeah. (laughs) And he stood there forever looking at how beautiful he was. He was so enamored with who he was. And Saul eventually came to this place where it was about him. Everything was about him. The wheels just started to turn and push. Uh, In 1 Samuel chapter 18, um, it kind of describes this to the core. uh, in, In verse 20, and back again, Sorry, I keep going back and forth, but it says in, in, in verse 20 of chapter 18, it says, Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So, so here, here, let me set this up for you. Um, Michal, which is Saul's daughter, is in love with David. And so they tell Saul, and Saul gets excited because, right, you want the best for your daughter. How many of us want the best for our kids, right? We want the best because we care about our kids. And so we think, you know, when I hear this, I get excited. Oh, wow, maybe Saul's turning. And so he wants the best for his daughter. And so he was really happy. And then it said in verse 21, so Saul said, I will give her to him. Wow, he's going give, to give her his daughter away to David because David's a godly man and David's a good man. But look at what it says next. It says that she may be a snare to him. He used his daughter to accomplish his purposes, which is the epitome of narcissism. When you use other people so you can get something done. Do you ever do this? You ever use people? You ever use people to accomplish something that you wanted to accomplish and not for their own good but for your own good? And so here's Saul ready to sacrifice his own daughter because of his hatred for David. Because he is so important. Later in, I think it's um, in verse tw- or chapter 20, he does the same thing with his son Jonathan. He turns over his son Jonathan and basically was willing to give up the respect and love of his own son so that he can kill David. What kind of father does that? What kind of person does that? One that is the epitome of narcissism. See, Jonathan even trusted David more than his own father. Do you catch this? What would make a son trust somebody else more than their own father? Not only that, he was the king. That blows me away. Jonathan trusted David even more than his own father. So on the one hand, you have self-seeking or narcissism. On the other hand, you have David, who was selfless. He was selfless. At any time, he could have walked out. On any time, he could have, he could have just killed Saul. But you know what he did? He knew The right thing to do was to follow and obey and to listen to Saul. And it didn't benefit him to to follow Saul in any way. It didn't benefit him at all. In fact, it hurt him. He had to leave. He had to, there were some bad things that had to happen. But doing the right thing isn't always easy and he had to be selfless and do the right thing. Now let me ask you this question. Do you have the Saul syndrome? And if you do, here's some things. Maybe, uh, Maybe these might show you you might have them. The Saul syndrome is this. Someone who has a need for constant attention or admiration. And here's a quick way you can check. If you post something on Facebook and no one responds and you're hurt. (laughs) Right? It's like, I only got one like and I don't even like that person. (laughs) And you go around all day, you know. I'm so bummed nobody likes me on Facebook. It's like, come on. 
when we find our admiration, now is it wrong to post things on Facebook? No, but if we go to post and seek affirmation from others, that means we're not getting our affirmation from God. That's Saul syndrome. That's Saul syndrome. We seek what other people is more important than our own. Maybe there's a sense of entitlement. A sense of entitlement meaning, man, you know what? I deserve better. I deserve this. I deserve that. You know what? You should respect me because of what I've been through. Come on. I'm the best. And when people don't do that, you get hurt because you expect it to happen. Okay? That's the Saul syndrome. Maybe you exploit others. You use other people to make you look good. Do you ever use other people to make you look good? You know, maybe you, you, know, you go out and you serve the homeless. And, uh, and you do a great job. And you take a, maybe a Saturday. And uh, then you come back and you're like, yeah, I served the homeless. <laughs> Four hours and it was rough. Man, am I not awesome? Right? And so somehow we get in the brag or we get in the, why? To use the situation or the ministry to let others know that we're good because we're seeking the affirmation or the accolades and we take it from God and we put it upon ourselves. That's narcissism at the core. Or we use other people or we use other things to make us look good. Ah, this is hard stuff. This is hard stuff. Um, maybe there's a lack of empathy for others. And this one is where your ends justify your means, so you don't care who you mow over to get what you need to get. You don't mind hurting other people. You don't mind saying destructive things because, well, the ends justifies the means. And if my goal is this, then I don't care who gets in the way of me getting there. This is where a lot of uh, you guys who own your own business or a lot of CEOs get yourself in trouble. Because getting to the top, sometimes you want to mow over people rather than building relationship and caring. And so that's narcissism at the core where you care more about yourself than others and you mow over people. Maybe you're envious of others or you want others envious of you or you're arrogant and haughty in your attitudes or you have a preoccupation with just fantasies of unlimited success. I'm going to be the greatest at this and this. And is it wrong to be great? No. But if that greatness has to come through the, Jesus Christ and not your acts or who you are, but how God is working through you, because it's not about you, success becomes an obsession at the cost of other people in your life. See, selfishness produced, selflessness produced a king. Selfishness destroyed a king. Selflessness produced a king. Selfishness destroyed a king. And so the challenge for you and I is, what kind of person are we going to be? Are we going to be the ones that make choices and turn from our ways? Or are we going to continue to walk the path where the snowball just keeps going and going and going? And my challenge for you this morning is to make that challenge and say, you know what, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to live as how God has called me to live. And how can you do that? In Matthew chapter 6, it's very simple. He says this. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And all of these things will be added unto you. Now, he's speaking more physical things, but you get the idea. When we seek God's kingdom first, everything else comes into play. If you in your life are seeking after him like David sought after him, David was a man after God's own heart. We know he blew it. Next week, we're going to talk in depth about how he blew it. But what you have to know is after he blew it, what did he do? He sought after God's heart. 
He was able to turn. He was able to humble himself. That's what made it different than Saul. Does this make sense? And so there's choices and truths that David chose to believe. Number one, and let's, I'm going to bring these back together from our talk, is trust. We have to trust that God wins. In every situation, do you realize that God wins? God wins. Whatever Goliath is in your life, God wins. You don't have to worry. You bring your stuff. You bring what, he, what he's given you, and he'll fill in the rest. Don't worry about the small stuff. Let him take care of it. If he calls you to do something, he will give you everything you need to accomplish that purpose. God wins. Trust him. We need to have contentment, and we need to understand that the current struggles that you and I have are nothing compared to the coming glory. I can tell you right now, if we went up and went into heaven and realized where we're going to be, everything else, oh, my car broke down, is going to seem like nothing compared to where we're going to be. Those current struggles are nothing compared to the coming glory. Number three is peace. Because when you have his peace, you know that his will will be done. Just like we know God wins, his will is going to be done in your life. So bring peace wherever you're at. And the last one is selflessness, which God forgives always. God forgives always. Remember last week when Pastor Ronnie brought that incredible message and then he said, remember, God gave. God gives. He forgives us when he didn't have to. He's selfless at the core. He gave to you and I so that we can have eternal life. And so if you're Saul and you need to change, then it's time to do that. And so let me just bring it down. And I'm going to speak to you as an individual. If God has you here this morning, make that change. If God has you here this morning and you know that something needs to be different, I'm speaking to you directly, make that change. He has a plan for your life. And all of these things are getting in the way. I want to challenge you to make that change, to follow him. How do you do that? You're probably asking, well, what do I do, Bill? How do I make that change? How do I, I mean, I'm living this and I don't like it and I don't like where I'm headed and I don't like what's going on. How do I do it? Well, number one, you have to admit it. You have to admit it. You know what the Bible says? In Romans 3.23, he says this, and I love this. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which is this good, it puts us all in the same place. All of us in here have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of his glory. There isn't one person here. There isn't one person here that isn't a sinful person. It brings us all together. And then he says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Do you know what that means? Because we've sinned, it separated us from God, and what we've earned with our sin, the wages, the cost, the price, is hell. Is eternal separation from him. There's no way to get around that. So when we're sinners, we're eternally separated from God. But then he says this at the end of that 623 verse, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift he gives us is eternal life. So you could be a sinner and then all of a sudden realize you're standing with God and say, I can accept the gift and that brings us eternal life. And the gift is his son who died on the cross for you. He took your place. He took your sins upon him on that cross so that you wouldn't have to pay for him. He paid for him. 
But we in response have to accept him. Romans chapter 10 says, for if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus raised from the dead, we will be saved or you will be saved. So you ask, how can I do this? Well, number one, you have to acknowledge it. Number two, you have to confess it. And number three, you have to ask for it. And so we're going to do that right now. And I want you if, you, if this is where you're at, maybe you don't ever, you've never known Jesus, you need to ask. Or maybe you need to rededicate them. Pray with me right now. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this group of people. And Lord, I know it's been challenging to come through and hear these things, but I know your Holy Spirit is moving on some of us. In a, in a strong way. And so right now I pray if there's someone that, that needs to come back to you, that they need to know you for the first time, that your spirit would touch their heart right now. Show them who they are. As the silence just comes in this room, may your spirit move unhindered, God. So if you're someone that, that needs to come back to Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just pray this prayer, and what we're gonna do is we're going to, just what we said, we're gonna admit, confess, and repent. Say something like this, say, dear Jesus, I admit before you that I've tried to do it on my own and it's not working. I need your help, God, to change my life. Jesus, I confess before you that I'm a sinner, that I've been against you. Please forgive me for my sin. And Jesus, right now I ask, that you take my life because of your son's death on the cross for me and that I live for you because I want to serve you out of gratefulness of what you've done for me. I pray this right now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen if you made that decision this morning.